right now. Oh, <laughs> sorry guys. Usually I get counted down. Um, I got very distracted by something happening out my window. Anyway, hello and welcome once again to What's the Damage? Companion show to the incredibly well-known and popular real play D&D show, Roll for Damage. Also a podcast. That's true. Um, we've got a very exciting episode today. We're going to be talking about the shenanigans the Shields of Twilight got up to on Friday, including a spa trip, some illicit drugs, the return of Puppigrin, and a mystery. The gang did some sleuthing, and we're going to put every decision they made under a magnifying glass, right here, right now. Then, later on, we're going to be talking about possibly the biggest topic in D&D, Homebrewing your own campaign setting. Homebrewing your own, com and, um, own campaign setting. So the sky's the limit with that. And we've got a great panel of experienced DMs and players to talk about it. As always, stick around after the stream for links and resources because Black Lives still matter. I'm your host, Truth Benson, and this is What's the Damage? Welcome back. Joining us today is Serenity, our favorite D&D mom, and Jake, our favorite bard who plays Oriana on the stream. Um, so guys, I think the only real damage this session was having to see Dobby naked. How's everyone feeling after a nice relaxing bath? I'm feeling great. Oh, gosh, yeah, that was, that, was, that was a moment for Oriana. Yeah, uh, she's a bit body shy, huh? I mean, she had a pretty sheltered life in terms of public bathhouse type stuff, so kind of makes sense. Is that like uh, not a thing in, in River Run? No public baths? No, there are. There are, but she, she's, she's like a noble from like a minor noble house. Uh, so. Yeah. She had her own private bath. <laughs> Stuck up, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so mean. No uh, one gets to see my body. It's not even that. It's more because she I was know. embarrassed. Skin is not for you, peasants. <laughs> no, yeah, you, you can't look upon my oh, bathing in the common. succulents. <laughs> uh, where, where is um, the complimentary wine? Yeah. Do I need to speak to the manager? Yeah, there's my champagne. 
anyway um cool beans yeah but for real like what is that like for Oriana because I feel like she's getting a little bit more comfortable being among people who are not from like her own culture but this seemed like a bit of a culture shock to her just that concept of getting naked around other people um yeah in a way um when it comes to that kind of stuff it's it's less of like a culture well I get no culture shock would be a good term for it I guess she's just not used to it um as far as I know, everywhere we've gone has either had like private baths in the terms of like it's communal but small or has been, you know, just like, oh, no, you have your own bathhouse, you know, you have your own room that you can go in. Um, and even in terms of like being around uh, Perry, it's not like she you know sleeps in the nude or anything she changes into like sleepwear and stuff like that so it's just she's never been naked in front of someone and that was an interesting experience now you're closer together so cute <laughs> does she have like a little frilly nightgown i don't know how frilly it is but yeah she has a nightgown <laughs> i would imagine <laughs> sorry i'm just imagining a bunch of frills like a little lace cloud <laughs> Anyway, um, but it was nice to get the sand off finally, I assume. Yeah, she, she, she's gotten more used to adventuring, I think. So it was kind of an interesting thing where she did the first thing she would have done normally is like, I need to, I need to bath. I need to get clean. But now it's more like, oh, yeah, that's right. I, I, I kind of stink. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, so you all got clean, and then some money kind of just fell into your lap, which is a good thing, because I think you guys are pretty broke right now, um, with a local nobleman who's willing to pay a pretty copper, I guess, not penny, copper to find his son. A lot of people seem to go missing in Zerithamar, it seems like. You want to take this one, or should I? <laughs> I mean, I, mean, I, I, mean I, I had that as a... I, I ran the the mystery, like the murder mystery in Dahana and and I and they, they seemed to enjoy it. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll have a side quest, you know? And I figured <clears throat> either they'll take it or they won't. Um and and whether they do or don't, like I can always I can either hold it in my back pocket for later or or if they take it, then you know it'll be fun. But it was meant to be like they got some money, but they've also had a bunch of like spills where they've had to like spend a lot of the money. And so <clears throat> I wanted to give them an opportunity to get uh, some something uh, significant of significance um, and also like have a uh, like a fun, you know, time trying to like investigate this thing. I was not expecting the division in the group over. Um, fire alarm huh <laughs> no i think that was my front door oh. um but uh, i think it's a package okay yeah um yeah i was i was not expecting the the like the significant party division over like oh well we'll do it but then maybe we won't do it and oh we'll just hand it over to the guards and it's like you guys can make whatever decisions you want mm -hmm. at this point that's your choice just know that you know 
every decision has its consequences and every piece of, of, of sort of adventure you kind of leave unfinished, whether you had taken it or not, has its, you know, has, has, things will happen that no matter what you do, like the world keeps turning, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Essentially. And, uh, and so I, it was just very interesting to see uh, these characters sort of be on this train of, okay, we'll look into this, um, especially good characters uh, being, we'll look into this. Oh, but we'll just like, if we don't get anything out of this by like tomorrow, like we'll just hand it off and like, be like, okay, we're done with it. And I'm like, okay, if that's what you want to do, like you do it, like go ahead. Um, but it's like a very interesting dilemma um, as they, they think that they're on this like heavy timeline, which maybe they are, but they don't really know, hmm. you know? Um, so, so yeah, for me, it was just, I, honestly, I was just like, they enjoyed the first mystery so much. I'll just do something fun and maybe they'll enjoy it. And then it was like, kaboom, everyone's angry <laughs> at each other. And I was like, okay. Uh, fun time. time. Wrong crowd. What's Jake's perspective on this? Uh, Jake or Oriana? Never. Because <laughs> Jake, Jake just likes playing side quests. Side quests are fun. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Oriana is... She's she's gone through a little bit of a phase. Um, she's found out that leaving home was not really the right decision, quote unquote. Um, she's found out that she takes too much at face value, doesn't investigate enough. And then she has a bombshell dropped on her. Well, two bombshells dropped on her. The first of which being, oh, you're going to have to go back to River Run now. Ready or not, you, you got. You're gonna have to go back. Uh, and the second being, oh yeah, uh, your home is being the tar- is is the target of essentially a terrorist attack. Hey. Okay. So now, not only do I have to go back, ready or not, but there's also gonna be an attack, and my family's there. Oh no, what does that mean? Um. So when she got into town, when we were heading back to the city, she was more or less content to just let's sleep the night and go go on our way. But then we hear this nobleman come across saying, you know, oh, the guard won't listen to him. His son's gone missing. And her immediate instinct is, okay, well, what if I can do something to help? Um, you know, she talks to the guy. She tries to get the group to, like, make a consensus decision on this. Most everybody seems, you know, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, for one reason or another. Um, and she really just wanted to kind of not necessarily promise, hey, I'm going to find everything, but more of just, well, maybe I can get the guards to help this guy if I find some evidence or something. Um, we ended up finding some evidence, and at that point, the group started talking about long-term, like, you know, days, potentially weeks on the plan to solve this crime. And that kind of gets her a little scared. You know, she's, she's not like, oh, we need to just abandon this now, let's go. But she's also not sure she wants to spend weeks in the city after they've already spent like a week and a half in the city. And then they start talking about, hey, let's go do a drug deal. (laughs) And then that's kind of the like tipping point for Oriana of, I don't want to commit a crime to try and solve a 
missing persons case in a city that basically kind of gave us a you're on thin ice bub for destroying a store arrested one yeah like it, it it's all very not ideal situation for her so now that the party's talking about actually committing crimes to try and solve a case you know her legitimate concern is okay well why would we commit a crime when we have plenty of evidence to bring to like an official or something okay it's not necessarily she wants to give up on the case mm-hmm. just you know why is crime the only option because dobby <laughs> because dobby yeah because dobby of course um yeah so I suppose that, make, that makes sense from Moriana's perspective because she does have the looming threat of exploding zombies uh, going to her hometown. Yeah, it tends to tends tends to quicken your pace. <laughs> Maybe. Anyway, um, cool. So, did you personally find it a little bit weird that this guy could not get help from the guards because he was a nobleman who apparently was pretty confident about his ability to get? A audience with the emperor? Is that a clue or is that just a plot hook? Um, I mean, Oriana doesn't find it weird, especially after investigating and seeing like, oh, this was super professional. Like, I probably wouldn't have seen this if I hadn't gotten a little lucky. Um, so yeah, a guard just kind of coming in, looking at it, knowing the history of the kid. Not really surprising that the guards kind of ignored him. Okay. Yeah, so you guys got to do a little bit of investigation at this guy's uh, fancy house. Um, so Sin, Rick, and um, and Perry kind of jumped right in. Perry turning into a puppy again, we missed her puppy. Um, and Sin seemed to have some experience with like investigations. How's Oriana with sleuthing? Like, does she have any experience in this kind of thing or is she just kind of going with what she thinks would be useful? I mean, I doubt I, I doubt DM can kind of confirm this, that she's had a history of being a super sleuth. But as a kid, she, I mean, she loved reading she's books. So I imagine. Details, so. so she's yeah. read every fantasy Nancy Drew book is what I'm hearing. Probably, Probably fin, you know, River Wren equivalent of Sherlock Holmes kind of thing, you know. Um, so she's probably read a lot of books on the subject and is, has always been kind of interested in it. But I don't know if she has practical experience necessarily. She's just really good at like like she's she's been I mean like the, the way that Jake's kind of created her is that she's had this background of like thirsting for knowledge and, and thirsting for details. So just naturally she can sort of pick things out that maybe mm-hmm. someone who isn't as detail oriented wouldn't be able to. Um and that's kind of like where she gets her proficiency in, you know, investigation and, and history and, and a few other things. But um but yeah, it's it's less of like, oh yeah, she's been doing this forever, and more. It's just like an inherent skill that she she has um, mm-hmm. from the lifestyle that she's lived. Awesome. Yeah. So talk me through Oriana being like confronted with the puzzle of this crime scene. Like, was she excited to find stuff out? Was she interested? Was she really just thinking, okay, let's find what we can and move on? As you mentioned before. I mean, she loves a good puzzle. Mm-hmm. Like, like I said, I think the last time I was on, Oriana, pretty good at puzzles. Love, loves them a lot. Player, not, also. not, not very good. <laughs> not very good. Um, she she was interested in trying to solve the puzzle and come across this 
not necessarily a dead end, but a, a roadblock in a purple powdery substance that she can't identify and an alchemist can't identify kind of got her thinking maybe we've stepped in to something that's a little bit above our pay grade here um and at that point that's when she kind of starts having those thoughts of uh is this something we really should be handling are we are we qualified are we capable enough to handle this uh and then figuring out it's a drug and then you know, the party say, oh, we should go talk to a drug dealer and see if we can get dr more drugs or, you know, the, the supplier. Wait, why are we associating with criminals? What's going on here? I love it. They, they've had, they have, there, there are so many clues in this that, I mean, like typical D&D &D fashion um, is very rare that a group will really pick, pick things out. Like usually they like, narrow in on like one specific mm -hmm. direction and they're like okay we're gonna follow this thread and we're just gonna like follow this until the end um and uh and like that's that's exactly what they did they like followed the like mm -hmm. the, the simplest most laid out one in front of them um but there are so many like little things that that happen mm -hmm. in in that session and so much information that they got um, that they honestly like just have not picked through or like not really even thought about like there was like moments where it was like that's interesting. And then they just moved on to like the next thing. I'm um, sure we'll see all those. Yeah. It'll, later. it'll be interesting to see what they, what, what threads they decide to pull or if they just decide to go, you know, if they go straight to this drug dealer and they get what they want from, from him or her um, or, you know, like what happens there. Uh, but, but yeah, uh, I mean the, the, the most fun thing about like creating a mystery is creating sort of multiple ways to solve it and multiple opportunities yeah. for players to use like various skills to um, kind of figure it out um, both like player themselves and what their character is good at. Um, and mm -hmm. so uh, I like doing that. And, but I knew that they would, I was like, okay, I'm going to give them they're They're going to get things and they're hundred percent going to focus on like the <laughs> simple solution, you know, out in front of them. And so it'll be interesting to see like how much of this they actually solve, if they solve it, if they decide to solve it, or if they decide to give it over to the guards. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's it's very interesting for me because I know all the machinations on the on the other side. So um, you're just watching, like, ooh, yeah, I'm just watching to see what. what I mean, I I think it's a pretty hefty clue that we've finally found an NPC that talked about the uh, the thieves guild. That's not Dobby. For once, like somebody other than Dobby, Dobby knew. said, hey, he knew about maybe, the guild. maybe there's a Thieves Guild that knows something about well, the this. NPCs and... that he talked to in the bar knew about the Thieves Guild as well. They well, just didn't true, know how to but... find them. They were like, we don't yeah. know how to find them. We know there's a Thieves yeah. Guild. Yeah. yeah. Serenity, um, I actually want you to talk in a little bit more depth about like designing and running a crime scene or like a like a mystery like this, because it's very different than like designing and running a combat or a normal role play scene, because there are, like you said, lots of different little things. Yeah. And what the players find is like dependent on how they roll and what they choose to investigate, but you have things that you definitely want them to find. Otherwise the plot can't progress. So like yeah. it's very unique balance there. Yeah, and you like, you have to have a few kind of like little red herrings, but you don't want to have red herrings that completely mm -hmm. throw them off and like don't, you know, don't get them anywhere. I mean, the way that I do it is I think up like a premise of, okay, what's, what do I, like, basically I'm like, okay, at the, at the end of the encounter, like what would they, 
end up coming up against? Like, what is doing this thing? And then I come up with like, okay, what's happening? Okay, so here's like the setting of, you know, there, there, for instance, like there's this drug on the streets. Okay, well, what, what's the, what's behind this drug? Like, you know, how is this being distributed? Who's distributing it? Who's making it? Um, and so like creating kind of all of that thought process behind that and then having a tie-in to like sort of uh, get the party interested in like the, the mystery around whatever this is. And so like, then it was like, okay, I'll, I'll have a noble, um, I'll have his, his son go missing. Uh, and then it's kind of, you set up a few locations that are important um, uh, that you know that the players will have an opportunity to learn more uh, about this. Um, and so like one of those was obviously the home of the noble where they could actually investigate, okay, what happened? How was he taken from this place? Um, uh, there are a couple of other locations that they have yet to, um, to really dig into, uh, but you know, maybe that'll happen uh, next session, but then you have like those, mm -hmm. and then you have like the sort of the final location of, okay, if they figure, if they put everything together, if they put all the clues, like this is where they'll end up. And, and this is kind of like the final encounter they will have whether that be a social encounter an actual battle um you know some some something else like a skill challenge or, or whatnot um and uh and then it's kind of like i basically i don't really um i set up the clues of things that i think will give them what they need to continue and to move forward and give them multiple options to do that um but also don't uh i try I, and, and obviously i give a you know, a couple of weird little like red herrings that might not actually be important at all. Um, uh, and then I kind of just set them free and like, let them do what they want. Um, like for instance, the, the dance hall and the, and the tavern completely made up on the spot uh, because that, that wasn't, those weren't major locations. They were like things where they could potentially find people, but I was like, uh, they might go here. They might not. Um, and so like, that is more of a thing that I can create as a part of the wider story, but there are not like the main portions of where they're going to get the information for instance the boyfriend was like i already had him completely created and designed and like how he would interact yeah. with them and everything like that so but you had him show up at like the bar where they were yeah i mean i mean to be honest like if they had like he it was more like it wherever they went they probably would have found be. him okay. yeah like they probably would have found yeah. him because like i wasn't gonna have them like have to run all over the city like if they had gone to his house he probably would have been there it was just like one of those things where, but I had also given them sort of the timeline of, hey, on the weekdays, they mostly spend their time at the pub or at each other's houses. They don't go to the dance hall until the weekends kind of thing, because that's where they like blow off steam when they're not, you know, doing work for their families and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, that was that was less of a, okay, like if they go here, they're not going to find anything and more of just like giving them locations to like make it fun. Yeah, it seems like it would be necessary to have, I think, as you said, like multiple different ways that they can find the clues. Otherwise, they're just going to get stuck. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like the whole idea of like them following this drug dealer, like that is definitely one path. But mm -hmm. they also they're they were given multiple information about some other avenues that they could have investigated or that they could they could still potentially look into that they just didn't they just kind of like threw out and like tossed in the trash for now and, and and aren't really focusing on um but that's also because they have like a very chaotic couple of people in Baltaim and Dobby who are like Baltaim really wants to try this drug um uh and so does Dobby actually 
Uh, And so they're like all about like the subterfuge and the underworld and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, And so they're more excited to go in that direction. But but there are plenty of options and opportunities that they they could have taken. And they just, you know, they haven't focused on. So Yeah. What was it? Ball and Dobbs investigation? Yeah, Ball and Dobbs. Incorporated? uh, Or yeah, or or investigators or something like that. I can't remember. Something like that. Ball and Dobbs LLC. (laughs) There you go. I've started realizing in your games that I need to stop thinking about what necessarily makes sense because I, as player, will just say, no, that, that that's not likely to happen. And then, you know, it turns out like, oh, no, that, that actually was an option for us. We could have done that. And that's what I, I, I feel like I'm slowly learning from you is, is less of, hey, this thread seems like obvious. Let's follow this. And more of, what if I do this instead? Yeah, I want you guys to do more of that. But a lot of times you just, I mean, it's just natural though for players and groups to like tug on the thing that's like right in front of them. Um, Like it's rare that you get like a player that like really goes way out there. It happens sometimes, like like Mm -hmm. Jay's done it a couple of times. Um, You know, I think a couple of you guys have, have done like some weird things that I wasn't expecting Uh, a few times but it's like most of the time the group is just like okay like this is significant like let's follow it it'll take us to the place and it usually does but it's not always like the most direct path or it's not always the most interesting path of of getting there and I like as a DM it's like I like giving options to players to be able to kind of play with it and do something wacky and that's I mean it has to be within the realm of possibility of course but hey if you decide to dress up as a debutante and like go strolling the streets and talking to strange people. Like I'm not going to stop that. That's cool. Like that's an awesome idea. And why would I stifle that creativity? So like, like those are kinds of things for me. I don't want to like narrow you and railroad you into doing something, but I know that generally like players are going to choose, you know, if they've got a big flashing sign in front of them saying, go here and there's like this dark path over on the side that's kind of obscured in fog. They're probably going to go towards the blinking sign that says like this direction is, is right. West rewards this way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I as I a player mean... tend to do like the weird and wacky crap that, but that's because I DM. And so I think of it as if I created this encounter, what crap would a player do? do that would break fucking everything for me? Um, and so I go and do that weird and wacky crap, but that's because I always think outside the box because I designed so many of these for you guys. Um, I think I always have the most fun as a player when like, I think of something stupid and immediately I'm like, I'm going to do that. Yeah. Why not? Right. It's great. So if you guys want to dress Dobby up as a debutante and have him go through the streets, that'd be great. Yeah. I I think Dobby would sit still long enough for that. You can think of something fun that's like in the realm of possibility for something that your character could or would do. I'm I'm all for that. Like use what you've got, right? Like that's mm-hmm. that's the whole point of D D is like have have fun and don't always have to stick to the, the straight and narrow in order to get somewhere. Like there are many, many different ways to do things. And I like setting up my games like that because I don't like I mean, I I don't like super open world where it's like a complete sandbox where you don't have any direction and it's just like I give you 15 threads and you can choose to pull on which one and you don't really have a great direction. Like there are some games that are like that where it's just like all adventuring. There's not really a major arc or anything like that, but like you can kind of do whatever. 
But I like to give those options and opportunities where it's like, you have your main quest, but there are a lot of things that are happening in the world that can like help you get to that main quest and help you resolve whatever problem it is you're trying to fix um, once you eventually get there. Yeah, I have um, another question about running like investigation scene because this is like, I think a scene that DMs do less often. It's normally combat and role play. Like investigation takes a bit more time to prep. It's a little bit more complicated, um, but you are as in as at all times in D&D at mercy to the dice. What can you do if your players are just rolling twos on like all of their investigation checks? Because you need to ferry them through this scene somehow. Yeah, so, um, so, there is the investigation of the of like the room and stuff like that. And had they rolled mm-hmm. poorly, maybe they wouldn't have found the vial. Um, and if that's the case and that happens, one, it's a bit harder to do when you have like four people investigating a room. Like I also put a limit on like what you're able to do. Like when they were like, oh, well, I'm going to do this too. I was like, no, 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 you're not. One person's <laughs> doing that because you only have so much room in a bedroom. I'm not going to allow each of you to roll four investigations and see, because chances are one of you is going to roll high, Mm -hmm. you know? Also, it's going to take 10 years. Exactly, right? Uh, But, you know, all the other area where I kind of leave it open is, yeah, there are things that require a roll. For instance, like looking through a room. But talking to the parents, that's player. Like, I don't require, like, and they were pretty, like, I was making sure that they were pretty open and honest, and they just had to be asked the right questions to give uh, information. And so that is less, oh, they're holding back or hiding. So, like, they want their son to be found. So my mm-hmm. my whole thing was there, even if they messed up the room and maybe didn't find some of the more important, they'd still maybe find out about the boyfriend. And then the boyfriend would lead them to eventually talking about probably drugs, you know? And, like, that would be a, a, a plot thread that ties in. Um, you know, they might find out about, you know, uh, like, like the thieves guild or other things that like come out of the father's mouth or they've called in guards, but the guards have kind of like looked around and haven't seen anything and have kind of like blown it off. They might go to the emperor, but that's going to take time. And who knows, like how, like, like there were, like, there were a lot of things that they could ask and get from the parents, um, and potentially other people that, um, that, what wouldn't require them to like have a high persuasion role or a high deception or like role in investigation or something like that. So I kind of always have that in my, um, in my adventures where, yeah, like if you roll real crap, you're going to have trouble, but it's not going to be impossible. Um, now there are some times where if you go and you talk to the parents and you're a real dick or you just are terrible asking questions, they might not give you anything and you might hit a dead end. But that's real life too. If a if a cop or a detective doesn't know how to ask questions or doesn't know how to look for the right things, there's a lot of unsolved mysteries out there. So like I make it realistic, but I don't make it so difficult that you could never get the information because you can't make that roll again, kind of thing. Got it. Um, speaking of something that Jake said about staying on the straight and narrow or veering off of it. I was very disappointed that you guys did not take that drug in front of that shopkeeper. I really wanted you to do that. I did too, <laughs> to be honest. Really, I wanted it so, so funny. I mean, Oriana, 100%. If we're talking about like, okay, this is evidence, would not just let the group be like, oh, yeah, let's just take it and see what happens. Because that doesn't advance, that doesn't get us any closer to finding the kid. I mean, we've known what it did. 
You yeah, know? but I mean, I, but at the end of the day, like that, that doesn't tell us anything. That just, it's, it's a unique experience. So I'm kind of glad you made us roll for it, honestly, because like that makes it more fun. Oh, what, the uh, grabbing the vial? Yeah, the dexterity check or yeah. whatever it was for it. Yeah. Like that, that made it more interesting in terms of that. But like Oriana, one hundred percent would not be like, no, 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 we're not gonna, we're not gonna take this. Okay, Baltaim has his own has his own vial now, so he'll probably do it. Yeah, Ball, yeah, Ball and Davi are getting super high next session. It's gonna be great. Yeah. Um, Okay, uh, that's more time for that. So we're gonna move on now to our topic for the day, which is homebrewing your own setting for a game. Very exciting. I don't know anything about that. Uh, yeah, these people are completely ignorant. So I, your current expert, will be guiding you through this yeah, process. Please, I don't, I don't know how to do that. I just run, run out of. Yes, I, the, coast, the most experienced DM here. Um, yeah. Anyway, so this is obviously the reason why we have um, Serenity on today. So the question for you guys first is like. Um, as as DMs, um, where do you usually get the first germs of an idea for a new setting? Like, where's the inspiration come from? Is there like a specific place it usually comes from? Does it come from a vision at night? I think in the last week, I've had about 10 different ideas for, for campaigns. It literally, for me, it just literally comes from anywhere. I see something or I make a dumb remark about something and I have an idea. Acting upon it is harder, but for me, it's uh, I I just like like I'll read stuff or I'll play a video game or I'll watch a movie or something like that, and I'll be like, hmm, that's interesting. Like I'd love to use the idea of like how that went down in a campaign somehow, but like how will I build that in? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like. All, all the media that I consume really like molds and shapes how I decide to run something. Got it. So pretty much inspiration as always comes from like the stuff you consume or just random ideas that you have. That's, that, that tracks, that tracks. <laughs> um, so when you're creating a new setting, how in depth do you usually go on the details prior to trying to run it? Um, do you come up with like a whole slew of unique cultures and religions? Do you write out histories um, or do you leave like more blanks to fill in once you get your players and once you see where the um, where the game is going to go? Total point form. I don't, I don't write. <laughs> uh, I mean, for this one, I mean, generally, it depends. It depends on the type of game I'm trying to run. Um, for this one, because of how I knew, because of the game that I knew I wanted to run and potentially where it, it might lead, um, I fleshed out the world a lot. I created uh, an entire timeline of lore of like how this world was originally created by the gods and how it's been shaped over the last what like few thousand years. Um, uh, like probably 10,000 years or something. I can't remember how many. I'd have to go back and look. Mm-hmm. Like, I did that. That's about right. And then I created uh, the gods and like what they're kind of... I tried to use the the, the general pantheon, the, the typical sort of 5e pantheon with a couple of extra changes. Um, but uh, I, I kind of gave them their own sort of presence in, in my world. And then I created uh, the geography of like where things were 
Uh, and then I created like the races and like kind of how they fit into the world. And that's pretty much like that gave me, I, I did that because I wanted uh, each player to be able to really create like a rich backstory and understand mm -hmm. the world that they were coming into and where they might come from. I think like not every one of them had like a specific village or a specific city that they came from, um, which was fine. Um, but, uh, but they had, uh, like an idea of the various cultures of each nation and where they kind of slotted into the world and stuff like that. I, I like having that because it's hard if you don't have that and don't have like an understanding of where the, where the world is now and where it's come from and like the history mm -hmm. of it, it's, it's hard to create like a really rich backstory of who your character is. Some people can, some people can make a backstory off of like nothing. But I generally like tying my character in the, into the world and having people that they might know or or things like that. And so uh, I wanted to make sure that my players had that. So I, I wrote a fuck ton. I think I think it's like quite a few thousand words. So you kind of provided them with like a dossier yeah, prior to them. Yeah. And then a map. I gave them a map. You know, I created a map for it and everything like that. So. Oh, gosh. Um... <laughs> I'm actually working on a, a homebrew campaign right now, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of in that middle of the process of how much do I put in before I know what my players are doing. And I have like a general idea of the history. I've given some interesting twists on some of the gods and uh, come up with a general storyline of here's what's happening with the world now, here's where it came from. But I'm, I'm really struggling with that, actually, of figuring out, like, how much is too much? Like, I'll find I can write about two pages of backstory on an NPC that they may meet once in the campaign. Um, but when it comes to, like, flushing out, okay, well, what's in this city that they're starting in? I maybe get a paragraph. Um, I... I find I write best when I know what my characters are and what they would do. Mm -hmm. um, like, it helps me flesh out the backstory of an entire city if I know X character was from there and they want this specific thing in their story. From there, I can kind of build up a more recent history of the city. Uh, as opposed to just, oh, it was founded in X year and this is their government. Etc. Etc. So you're kind of the opposite. You want a dossier from your characters before you finish your back before you finish the setting, kind of. Kind of. I mean, I, I'd say the the setting itself is like 80, 85 percent there, and now it's just kind of like, how do I get that extra like five percent without the characters, and then the characters mm -hmm. will complete it. Um, so yeah, I guess you could say that. I I like to build the world not necessarily around the characters but around the stories that the characters will likely be telling you know it doesn't make sense for me to create this entire region that has all the these are their laws this is the the tavern that everybody drinks at yada yada, yada. and then they want to be from that region but they don't want that backstory you know, they, they want different things that have happened in there, like a, a, a village overrun with undead or something, you know? Um, so, yeah, I, I, I find it generally easy to kind of get most of it and then just kind of customize it for the players later. 
So would you guys say that with a like homebrew setting, communication with the players is like a little bit um, more vital than perhaps in a module because they don't have that handy reference tool? So I think it depends on what you're trying to do. Like for me, I my homebrew setting is is I built the world. It's my world ultimately that that they get to explore. Like think of it when you like start up a video game, like you are the player in in there and you get to explore this world, but this world is already created. It already has its history, it already has its lore, it already has its mythos. Um and that's kind of how I built. Um I, I it's the same with like, you know, reading uh, you know, the Taldore guide or a wild mount or um or even like the general like forgotten realms like the world is there and then you can customize certain things about it to 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 your needs as players and stuff like that you know if you want to change water deep like change it add a faction add something else in there but you know the general structure um and kind of have a guideline i like that because for me it makes it easier to i don't I mean, I can ride by the seat of my pants in certain situations, but I like having some kind of structure. It's a lot easier for me to be descriptive if I know like the culture of the place of what it's going to mm-hmm. look like generally of like how people will interact of the the population distribution and that kind of stuff. Some some DMs don't like some DMs are just like, here are your cities. You have three of them. Pick one like that's where you're from or like whatever um, and work with their players or always like, I don't have a village created for you. OK, you can create this tiny one off in the northern regions of xyz place and we'll just say it say it's there now um uh and for me like i'll allow that in in certain situations but i also wanted to say like here's what atril is like here's what belladon is like here's what Wynon is like here's what you know the free kingdoms are here's how you know here's how saratan works and and how you know how their culture is um and again, for me, it just makes it easier in my story to kind of like guide and and make things uh, sort of more uh, comprehensive and more descriptive. But I wouldn't say that there's a right or wrong way to do it. It's just the way that I do it because it's most, most comfortable for me. Also, DMing on stream, like I'm trying to paint a picture for our viewers. The audience. Yeah, <laughs> for the audience. Normally, like if I was, if this was just between me and the players, I probably wouldn't be half as descriptive as I am. Um, but, you know, I want them to like visualize what Zerithamar looks like with these like giant floating sort of hanging gardens that are like, you know, arcanely afloat and this giant golden crystal in the sky that is like lighting everything. Um, like I, I like and, that you know, having this valley where where this this you know, orbital pillar, the circular pillar in the middle has this river that flows down into aqueducts that feed the rest of the, the city. Like, I like giving that to them so that they can have an understanding of, like, how massive this place is, but also how sort of, like, advanced it is compared to some of the other places that they've been. Um, and so I need to have that kind of fleshed out before I uh, I build something. Otherwise, like, I have nothing to go off of Jake? Um, gosh, <laughs> kind of hard to follow <laughs> that up. I think you build more with your players. You're more of like a, I, I, tell me what yeah. you want and I'll let you have it kind of thing. I mean, again, I, I have a general idea of this is the city, this is the structure, but... 
at the same time, I also want the char- the characters to have a personal connection to it, to, and that often comes through in whatever their backstory for the region is. Oh, I'm from the super technical, technologically advanced city. Okay, well, how does that present itself as your character? Oh, uh, well, what do they have? Oh, well, you know, they got like body modification and stuff like that. Oh, well, could I have like a robot arm or something? Like building it with the character and kind of expanding almost off of using both imaginations, both the DM and the player's imaginations to kind of build up the the society beyond just what the DM thought it was going to be. Um, it's just, it's it's more fun, I feel, you know? It, it gives that extra personal flair. Good answer. Um, do, 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 do. Both good answers. Um, so going bit more into detail on the details. Um, so how, when you're creating a homebrew setting, how much do you usually deviate from like standard D&D from the book lore? Like, do you um, change up religions? Do you like pick a unique way that magic works in this world? Um, do you treat like the races a bit different? Like what do you usually do? Does it depend on the setting entirely or do you have like things you like to go to to fuck with? This is going to be the first really, truly homebrewed world I've done since I basically started DMing. So I'm taking the opportunity to just kind of like, okay, here's the lore, and here's what I don't like, and I'm changing. <laughs> um, like, trying to think of an example. Um, oh, the drow. Uh, the drow are not going to be uh, dark-skinned in this world. They're going to be light-skinned. Because, personally, when you live underground for centuries you don't get darker you get lighter you know you you lose color in your skin you don't gain color i I never quite understood that or um here's another one grumsh the the orc god is always portrayed as this really evil dude i'm not making him evil i'm making him good just because i'm tired of that kind of stereotype and i'm still keeping the lore of dwarves elves and orcs are all at each other's throats but i'm Mm -hmm. changing it so that it just feels better neat yeah personally i always like to fuck with racial politics when it comes to dnd because i don't i don't believe in evil races i think it's cheap when it comes to just having like okay well goblins are always the bad guys drow are always the bad guys orcs are always the bad guys I think it's much more interesting if you go into the politics of why they are maybe villainized as a race. That's just me. Yeah. Um, my world is completely, I didn't, I didn't really, mm-hmm. like I said, I think the only thing I maybe took from traditional lore is like the actual gods names and their general uh, um, like area of, of influence. Um, but other than that, like my world is, the gods are actually in the world. They can manifest at any time. They can fuck with you at any time. Um, you know, I created the idea that the world is inherently full of magic and magic is what caused an initial huge, almost apocalyptic war. Um, and that's why it's kind of, there are certain nations that are very scared of it. Um, and this is like, you know, and the gods left fragments of their power in these spirit crystals, which are then used to create uh inventions and technology and power like arcane strange devices as you saw there are things called uh 
what I call them? Uh, the there's like sand vehicles. Uh, what did I name them? skippers no um no, that's no um uh, dune drifters dune drifters yeah. Yeah. which are basically like cars but like they're like they go th- over the you know they're an actual vehicle that is propelled yeah. by spirit crystals to uh to go through the uh deserts and are fully like cabin controlled and so you don't get you know that the sun doesn't bother you and generally probably creatures aren't going to bother you and stuff like that so you know like there there are a lot of these things that i've I've created um, that just don't go in with traditional lore and like who the elves are and who the, you know, Eladrin are and um, just various races uh, and how they play in is very, very different than like who the Asimar are, are completely different than, than who they are in, in traditional D and D lore here. They were, uh, they were humans were elevated into Asimar by gods because they believed that they could further their, uh, proliferation of of good and light in the world, uh, and then they were corrupted by the abyssal demonic forces into the fallen, mm-hmm. um, who then turned and and uh, and started to, you know, wage sort of hell on hell on the material plane. Um, and so, yeah, I just I like fucking around with stuff if it makes sense in the world. Um, and I like you know like it's always fun to to play with things and tweak them as your own because it's always it's really really hard. Um, you know, running a campaign in someone else's world when it's their vision and you kind of don't want to mess with it. You're like, okay, if I do this and I do this wrong, like everyone's going to judge me for it. Mm-hmm. Or if it's like in your own world, it's like someone can be like, well, that spell shouldn't work like that. No, fuck you. It works like that in my world because that's how my world <laughs> is. So. You know, like that's how this is. That's how it's going to work, you know? Um, so I kind of like that the ability to kind of like mess with the norms that players are used to and kind of turn them on their heads. It makes it for a more exciting game. It does. Okay. So I've got a question for like people who are just starting to homebrew essentially, like, cause there's nothing more intimidating than a blank page. So when you want to do your first homebrew setting, what's the first thing you should do to start? Um, uh, if you if you're actually looking to homebrew a campaign, um, your first thing is to figure out what you want, what kind of first of all what kind of campaign you want to run. Again, like do you want to run an overarching story, or do you want to have just an open sandbox kind of world where where you're just creating like minor adventures all over the place? Maybe some tie in, but maybe they don't. Um, <clears throat> and then from there, honestly, create the first place that you're players are going to start in know what that that place is it's so easy to build a world like again if i wasn't doing this for stream and having to describe like every little thing in my world it's so easy to build a world out from from a, an initial town and create it on the fly um then to try and like build everything in and just be like like have your brain explode uh like for me it took me three or four months to write all of the stuff that I needed to give to my players so that they would have it for my world um, and to be even ready to go on stream. Um, but that's because of how I built that. But again, if you're just trying to have fun, knowing that initial village and the, some of the offshoot ties that you want to do with it, uh, like the, some of the quests that you want to have and a few key NPCs is all you kind of need to really, really start a homebrew setting. And then it'll kind of flesh itself out as you go along, to be honest. 
Uh, work with your players too. Like I know, I know that that's kind of like the the two different styles being presented here, where uh-huh. Serenity's all her, and then I'm like, oh no, no, no work with your players. But uh, well, these are both if you're valid style, they're super yeah, valid. Yeah, well, yeah, I wasn't trying to apply that, but um, it, if you're having trouble starting, then it makes sense to bring your players in on it. Nothing says that your players can't help you create the world, even if it's just something as simple as, well, I wanted to be from a country where magic is is kind of frowned upon or i wanted to be from a country that really acknowledges all the gods but they really only focus on one mm-hmm. you know it, it helps you kind of get this idea of what kind of factions what kind of countries exist in your world even if it's something you weren't expecting to have in it and yeah, you know, you have the final say. If the player wants something that you're like, oh, I didn't really want that in my world, then just say, okay, well, can we retool that? Cool. Sorry, there were so many sugar ants just like right here on the table. Um, <laughs> ant problem, have, no. You need that ant trap. We have ant traps. <laughs> um, so when you're um, like writing your homebrew setting, how do you keep yourself organized when you're creating like an entire world because it seems like it's a lot to keep in your head it's a lot to keep in notebooks a lot to keep in a google doc like how do you get going essentially and keep yourself on track to finish what you need to finish before you can start your game well jake loses all his notes in in (laughs) notes um and then has to restart everything so we know that that's how okay 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 and then he comes back to us and like, I don't remember what I did for this. I got to rebuild it right now. And we're like, okay, good, good luck with that. Shush, shush. Um, yeah, my notes at first were just all over the place. They were just, oh, I had an idea. Let me write that down. Oh, it, there's another idea. Let me write it. And nothing really ever connected. Um, right now, I've got like four or five Google Docs, different Google Docs for just this cam- this campaign I'm building. Uh, you know, I've got one for the NPCs I'm making, which is just like, oh, I had an idea. Let, let's make this NPC and I'll figure out where they go later. Uh, I've got one that's um, the characters and their backstories and will eventually probably have like the actual main campaign notes as well. Um, I've got another that's just the the lore that I want the players to know. Uh, and then I've got another one that's the lore I don't want the players to know. Secret lore. Uh more or less. I mean, you know, stuff that like the common person would know in this world versus stuff that, you know, only somebody from this city would know uh, kind of thing. Um, I'm just like, yeah, at this point, I just I, I've got like different sections in each note and then I just put things where they're supposed to go. And then once all of this is all figured out, I'll probably, you know, coalesce them into one big document thousands of pages of unnecessary typing <laughs> i have everything in the docs i have uh i have my Aotania doc which is like all of the lore cities uh, gods that i gave to the players that i originally wrote uh which is like massive but i can always look back to it to kind of like if i need kind of a, a refresher of like how i wrote something because that was a lot of lore and sometimes i'll like forget the ex- exact date that i put uh, something at um <laughs> But uh, but I have that, um, and then I have a campaign notes 
doc document, um, which is like our session notes. And I write that out. And I, I'm, I'm usually a few sessions ahead with like my notes and like what I want. And that uh, is my doc that I use to like run, you know, the game as, as the players are uh, moving through it. And then I have another um, campaign notes doc that is uh, all of like the descriptions of the various like towns and places that they could go to and the shops and the shopkeepers mm -hmm. Uh, and they like you know they had various NPCs that they'll uh, meet that will actually have names uh, versus the ones that I like make up on the fly kind of thing. Um, I like I like Google Docs because I'm able if I, if you if you set things headed if you use headings correctly it'll table of contents it easily for you because you can just click on the things that you need if you know where they are. Uh, so it makes it fairly easy. And then uh, I homebrew a ton in D and D Beyond um, like all of their I pretty much all, almost. Almost every item they have, barring a few that I used from like the actual, um, uh, true like D and D like books and stuff like that, uh, is homebrewed. Most of the creatures I, a lot of the creatures I use, not not everyone, but are are homebrewed. So I I create a ton of homebrew in D and D Beyond, and then I use D and D Beyond for like any other creatures that I don't homebrew uh, for their mm -hmm. stat blocks and everything like that. Um, and then all my maps I get from like Patreon or uh, various um, uh, various uh, vendors who are either like allow free maps or I like pay for or whatnot. But um, and that's and that's what I use in, in roll twenty. So like that's kind of how I keep everything separate in terms of like M super important NPCs. Generally, I have a few, but there are some that I just don't know who they are until players move through the world so i generally don't think up too many of them like i knew i knew lux eterno was going to be a group that the that was going to intertwine with with the the player characters in this campaign um so i created majority of them uh but then there were a bunch from say like their backstories that they haven't yet met or like that they've heard about like butcher but haven't don't really know the context behind who he is or what he does um so Awesome. Yeah, I have to admit, um, my game, which Sarani played in, Jake did not so disorganize. My notes were terrible. <laughs> you would not believe. Um, actually, what I'm doing right now with like the sort of homebrew that I'm noodling with, I'm not going to be able to run for a long time. So I'm writing myself a book, like a module book for me. <laughs> Yeah, it's fun. It's a good way to keep organized too, because I have like a template that I can use. I can just look at other module books and be like, okay, this is sort of how it's organized. And this is the information that's necessary to have. So it keeps me from over prepping too. That's awesome. Yeah. I wish it's I fun. had the patience to do that. Yeah. Oh God. If, if I did, I would, I would totally DMs guild that. so much stuff, but I just don't have the, the stones. To do it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, got two minutes so i don't think we have time for another question so i believe that is it thank you guys so much for being on and talking to me about nerdy shit like you do every week um thank you to all the viewers um thank you to sunbird and lady meows for designing our logo and our music uh, make sure to tune in next week on tuesday for the uh, 12th episode of what's the damage and on friday for the i don't know what episode 23rd of 23rd, oh, 23rd. For the 23rd session of Roll for Damage, it's been so long. Um, thank you and have a good night. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone.